Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 211 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the Kinky Cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Ben Hopper, fine artist and photographer. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for loads of information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Without any further ado, I'm sitting alone in the studio today, but on the phone, clear in the distant land of Peru, I have Ben Hopper on the line with me. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you doing? Good. In case some of our listeners haven't heard of you, on FetLife, you have a page, and also you have your own pages, which we'll cover the links in a little bit, and you're a photographer, but not a right. regular photographer in the way most people think. You're certainly not from a glamour point of view or even from a just a naked body point of view. Mm-hmm. What, what do you categorize your work as fine art? I would say recently I would categorize it as fine art. If you asked me five years ago, I would say that I'm a contemporary circus photographer. My young brother is a circus artist. So when he started training in circus 10 years ago, I started photographing, and that kind of uh, influenced me to work with a lot of uh, people who do physical work, uh, whether it's uh, circus artists, dancers. Um, I moved to London from Israel 10 years ago and ended up photographing a lot of stuff for the burlesque and cabaret and uh, fetish scene. So I kind of befriended a lot of the performers that were part of this scene and ended up collaborating with them. And then recent years, it, it became more and more fine art. And Alongside all the kind of physical work I've been doing, the projects that got me more recognition had a little bit of erotic twist to them. A project called uh, Naked with Masks that I started as Naked Girls with Masks. Pretty much photographed beautiful women naked wearing masks in different places. And uh, recently it was a project called Natural Beauty, which was a series of really beautiful young women with hairy armpits, which was sort of like uh, trying to do a little protest against the, um, the beauty industry and, and trying to make people rethink uh, female body hair, kind of use the system to fuck with the system. Your uh, project, Naked with Masks, was uh, was another fuck with the system too because uh, I think I read that it says most people show their face and cover their body. Yeah. I mean, the project started, there was a, it used to be a, a big group exhibition in London called Act Art. Um, it was ran by a couple of guys. Uh, there were a couple as well and the, the idea of the exhibition was to do really bold kind of sexual, mostly, I think, homosexual-oriented artwork. And I know I, I met these two guys in um, one of the, I think it was like a goth party in, in a club called um, Antichrist in London. And we just became friends and they said, oh, we, we have this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you have anything to submit? And I had this one picture, which was an outtake from a photo shoot um, of a friend of mine wearing a mask with uh, her back facing the camera. It's in the it's in the series. Her back is covered completely with tattoos. And I showed him this one picture and I said, I can do a whole series like that. The exhibition uh, theme was uh, censorship. And they said, okay, do it. So over a month or a month and a half, I just kind of improvised and created about 10 images. 
and just arrived on the day of the exhibition and hung the, the prints. So initially, I think I just kind of thought that it would be a cool idea. But then later on, I started developing the concept. And then I realized that the whole idea of nudity in our culture, world, uh, definitely Western society, plays a, a really interesting part because we kind of take it for granted. But um, now as, as I kind of mature with the project, I'm, I'm, I keep developing it and I'd like to photograph people who are, you know, older or, or uh, different body types or people with deformities, people who are really ashamed of their bodies and really examine what is nudity. Um, because if you think about even law right now, like I was in Montreal last year and this guy was arrested uh, for running around naked in the city center. Then I thought about it. So what does it actually mean? It means that he's, he's okay if he's wearing, like he's okay if he's a human wearing fabrics, but he's not okay if he's just a human. So in, in other words, he's basically being, just being a human is illegal, you know? So you're playing the controversial side. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing. There, there's so many places in the world where we are not allowed to be just human w without mm -hmm. clothing. But there are some places that are uh, much more relaxed about it. And yeah. especially when you get into, you know, groups of people and colonies, what have you, where it is a freedom. Yeah, that's true. But it's, it's very specific. So, for example, we're, we're very lucky to have a website like FetLife where we met, me and you where um, you have that. But it's kind of weird that um, such black and white differences between a place like FetLife or the community uh, that I kind of matured with in London, the, the London fetish um, scene, people that, you know, you can talk about, I don't know, feasting or something like that. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, that's his thing, you know. And if I tell it to a regular person, they'll just think I'm fucking crazy or weird. Well, yeah, and uh, we recently had some holidays here, and when you're sitting at the table with the family, you have to watch what you say, but when I'm sitting with my kinky friends, we can say anything we want. Yeah. There is a real freedom there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it exists. But I guess what, what really interests me is, um, you know, I've always had my uh, different groups of friends uh, back in Israel when I was there and in London. We're all quite open-minded. What I guess interests me is... Um, people who um just normal people from society this is why i did the masks project this is why i did the natural beauty project natural beauty the reason why i used um uh, young women who look like fashion models or actresses was just because of that because i knew that that's how it's going to work if i would photograph um, women that usually you'd expect him to have armpit hair, uh, like your average feminist um, lesbian that people would, the stereotype would be very kind of masculine woman. People would be, oh yeah, cool, great. But, you know, I'm just going to keep doing what I do right now. But when you take what people are used to, what people consume, the average kind of model lookalike woman who people are used to be attracted to and add the armpit hair which is something that people are not used to be attracted to then it creates this dissonance and it makes people think oh hold on i like this woman i don't like the armpit hair but on her it looks okay so why don't i like it and it starts kind of people start questioning it and actually it creates a discussion so that's what really fascinates me the kind of the bridge in between the, the people who are, I guess, more open-minded, people who are a bit more, um, maybe, I don't I don't want to say advanced with their think thinking because it's a bit arrogant sounding, but... Um, 
Well, they're breaking the norm, whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In addition to that, uh, the other series that you have, Transfiguration, you have these people that are obviously extremely athletic. I guess they're dancers. Yeah, there's, uh, that project is um, all um, circus artists and dancers and kind of contortionists. Contortionists would be the word. Yeah. There's going to be a link on our site where you can uh, go see these photos. And they are truly amazing. When I ran across them on FetLife, it stopped me in my tracks because you're taking very athletic, limber people, dancers, contortionists, that sort of thing, and painting them, body paint, to really bring out some of their muscular structure, but then take away from some of their facial features. And and when you look at it, it's sculptured art. Yeah, thank you. That project started as as an experiment with one dancer, just kind of, um, you know, let's try some body paint, let's try this background, this lighting, and it just worked. And then for a couple of years, I didn't do anything with it uh, because I thought that the uh, that photo shoot, the experience was very unique to um, that model, and I didn't want to repeat it. And then about, I think, two years after or a year after, I did another photo, with, another photo shoot with another dancer, female dancer, and uh, I just didn't have any ideas, so I thought, fuck it, let's just do the same thing. And it worked again. And then I didn't do anything with it. And then a year later, I did a photo shoot with my friend, um, Jonathan, who's a aerial straps artist from Montreal. And we've been talking a lot about something that fascinates both of us. He calls it state of presence in performance. Um, he drinks gallons of water in one of his shows before, like in the beginning of his show to kind of exhaust his body. And then what he says, he says that he's more present on the stage and the movements become sharper. And there's a, there's a word for it in Spanish. It's called duende. And um, it's like, for example, if, if someone is really good in flamenco, they, they'll say tienen duende. He's got the duende. Duende is an elf or a demon in Spanish. But in slang, it means talent or spirit. So when you get so good that you get to a state of flow, the next state after flow is duende. You get, you, your body becomes a vessel to a spirit. And that moment is um, the moment where you see a performance and you're, you're, it's like a breathtaking moment where you go like, <gasps> and you remember that performance for the rest of your life, whether it's music, you know, it could be different genres of, of or different disciplines of art. And we've been talking about trying to capture that moment. That there's a whole other project that I'm slowly developing called Duende about capturing that moment in images and video. But just before the photo shoot, we did that. And then... We, we didn't do any straps or any physical stuff. It was just portraits of him standing. He's the guy in the project with a beard that you see. He's got this beard and he's doing these weird faces and he's got one where he's like flexing his muscles, like a typical kind of flex muscle pose. And he just went into some sort of trance. And uh, when we did that photo shoot, I just finished the photo shoot and I said, dude, this is a project. I have to make it into a project. And then he developed into a semi kind of animalistic uh, lookalike kind of vibe and uh, also abstract. So some of the shapes you see, it's just, just you can't tell what is what, you know, it's like, you don't know where the hand is coming from because it's all these contortionists doing incredible stuff with their body. And then the other stuff is very animalistic and very kind of feral. And I guess also like what, what you said from the, the, for the masks project to this, I have a fascination with identity and, and human form. I was trying to kind of fuck around with um, just what it is, what, what human is, what shape is, abstract, you know. I was trying to kind of explore that. 
with this project. Well, you uh, certainly did some amazing capturing of, of some of these people. There's one where they were body painted and he was in such a, a contorted position that he had one hand on the ground, one foot on the ground, and his other leg looked like it came out where the arm is. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, yep. Yeah, I, I had to look at that really carefully to see what <laughs> I was looking at because apparently you shoot it with kind of a longer lens to make it a little more 2D. Uh, yeah, possibly. I use um, the, the, the cameras that I use um, for this project was, uh, it's a medium format uh, Mamiya Leaf or Phase 1. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, Bex, digital Bex of uh, either 50 or 80 or 100 megapixel. And then the lens I would use is, um, I think, uh, mostly um, 80 millimeter lens, which is equivalent to um, 50 millimeter mm-hmm. on a regular kind of DSLR full frame. So it's like a, kind of like a standard portrait camera. I guess the um, the the combination with the lights and and the the camera the the camera the lens and and the background just gives it like a little kind of two D feel, and that, that's really great for this because it, it turns it into you know instead of things going jetting out forward and back, it, it brings it down into this very statuesque look. It's a truly yeah. amazing look. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm really happy how it came out. The um, the, that post specifically that you were talking about, it's a guy called um, Shakuruddin Bonetics who who did the uh, English version of America's Got Talent. And um, he's, he's doing shows all over the world. He's this incredible, they call it bone breaking. So it's like a dancer. And he does all this insane stuff. And the, the really fascinating thing with him, we did this shoot when he was 17. And he's not like a double jointed person. You know, these people who are just can kind of take it out the whatever the limb he just he's just flexible he literally just tra- trained for a few years and he's just very very flexible which is insane well to have a model like that to shoot is is a treat because you can't find people like that very often yeah 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 the whole project was around that so finding people who are very extraordinary with their physical abilities and then bringing them to this setup to kind of unify them with, with the overall kind of um, collection of, of images, which is beautiful. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really privileged that, that all these, these people kind of um, just agreed to be a part of it. That all, all, the, all the people volunteered as well. This is another thing that I'm, I'm kind of realizing lately with my work. Most of, uh, maybe 99% of the people that I photograph all volunteer to be a part of it. I, I usually never have uh, the money to pay models so it's just in sort of like the name of art and um it's it's a great thing but it also brings another kind of um flip side because um i never really chased money um enough to be able to support everything properly so it was all just kind of ah, do it because it's cool but now i got to a point where I have archives of footage of, of, of photo shoots of like years of photo shoots that I'm struggling to, to edit because I don't have the time because I'm busy doing like money jobs on the side. It's this weird situation. <laughs> well, uh, it is. And you know, if we all could uh, do the thing we love to make a living, it wouldn't it be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. What I started telling you before we started this um, session is um, about, you know, I was telling you that I'm in Peru and um, the reason why I'm in Peru is a couple of reasons. Um, 
besides the fact that I, I'm originally from Israel and I moved to London in 2008, and then I've been in London mostly, uh, most of my time, kind of going in and out of London, you know, to Europe, uh, but I, I never left London for a longer period than maybe two weeks. And then last year, for the first time, I went to um, the US, I went to Montreal for a month, New York for a month, LA for a month, and then I went to Burning Man Festival for the first time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was insane. Uh, really inspiring experience. It's kind of like interlinks with, with the Fed Life vibe because all the people there, I mean, I'm sure that um, at least half of the people there have Fed Life um, accounts. It was a great experience. And then that was the first time I was out for three months and it made me realize that I really want to get out of London for a longer period. So, uh, this year, I've done something similar. I went to LA for a month, New York for a month, and now I'm in Peru for a little over a month. Peru was um, also, um, I went to um, the jungles for two weeks to do uh, something called ayahuasca, which is this medicinal plant that um, you just drink this brew that they make out of this kind of um, vine plant that's called ayahuasca. And it's, it's very similar to a psychedelic experience like uh, LSD or magic mushrooms, you get um, a lot of medicinal properties and you do the whole ceremony with uh, with a shaman that kind of guides it and, and sing songs and people with addictions go there, people with uh, traumas go there. And they say that it's like uh, equivalent to two years of psychotherapy. Yeah, that was uh, a part of the reason why I'm here. But also, I just realized that I want to try and work remotely. A lot of, um, a lot of the stuff that I want to do is catch up with this work that I was mentioning. So... Um, I kind of, I'm trying to figure out ways to just be off, you know, like my base in, in London and, and do, um, just do, just bring a hard drive and sit somewhere that's more kind of quiet and I can relax and just dig into the archives. So I did that and I started a, a Patreon page to try to basically ask people to support, give me like a, a little monthly support so I can just have my basic um, expenses covered, which actually, if I'm out of London, they're much, they're way cheaper because London, just the rent is almost $1,000 a month for what I pay. Yeah, this is sort of like my journey right now. I'm trying to clear all the archives. Transfiguration project, for example, I have uh, 30 people that I photographed in Montreal last year that I haven't edited these photos yet. And the plan is to make this whole project into a book but it's just so hard for me to figure out the, I guess it's like a problem for a lot of photographers and a lot of artists generally try to juggle the art with the, with the money jobs. This is sort of like my journey right now, trying to clear the, the archives, which some of them go back to like six, seven years ago and then get that out of the way and um, kind of release new things. Cause I feel like uh, even the, the new work that I kind of publish right now, it's actually three years ago. It's a bit weird, you know. You're gathering a lifetime of art, and now you have to organize it. It's a yeah. It's a bit of a problem sometimes. Let's talk a little bit about the the body paint that we saw in the Transfiguration Project. Sure. How was that done? Obviously, you had a vision of what it would look like when they were bent and mm-hmm. twisted. Who did the painting? The painting was done by the models and myself. It's a really simple kind of method. What we did, we used um, water-based black body paint and uh, kind of makeup sponges. 
and uh, the way we applied the, the black body paint was sort of like very roughly kind of um, smudging it on the skin. You see the smudges shapes and you see also the skin underneath. And then the white stuff that you see on these images, it's flour, it's just baking flour. The flour, we just kind of toss, just grab a bunch in my hand, just throw on top of the model. That's it. It's, it's just super, super simple. It just works with the lights. Um, the, the light setup is just two or three lights bouncing in the studio. I have uh, quite a small studio and it's all white, so it's really easy to light it up. So you just kind of bounce the lights behind me. So the light goes back and just kind of lights the whole room, make it, makes the whole room kind of lit and white. And that's it. The body paint was done mostly by us. Just kind of, I, I kind of figure out the way to do it. And then, um, you know, if it would be, well, most, mostly I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm not, I'm a photographer. So there's always a little bit of tension like that. So I would, I would just do the back of the model or if there's two models, they would do each other or something like that. I would just show them how to do it. And yeah, just us. Well, it's, it's a great job. And I would certainly look forward to a, a coffee table book of the whole project. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, me too. That That's that's probably going to be the first one. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be nice. You also have a couple of videos on your site of uh, mm -hmm. jugglers and what have you, kind of performance art. And, and it's really nice to see all these people that have these incredible talents and they're just living the moment and you've just yeah. captured it. It's so good. The first video that I watched, the focus was, was kind of pulled closer and the person walked on from out of focus and then they got very sharp and then they started performing and it was. Oh yeah. Really nice look. Thanks. That's actually, this is a really interesting video. I think you're talking about a video called uh, toss up and sides again which was done at, in Israel um, during the Israeli juggling convention, <laughs> which is a thing. They actually have them all around the world. Um, um, it's like uh, all these juggler geeks come up for like a week and just juggle together and perform and do workshops. But um, this video was done with the performers who came to perform at the Israeli juggling convention. So they usually bring like a bunch of kind of more professional guys to do performances at the end of the, of the uh, convention and do some workshops. And um, that was the first time I actually used the video fe feature on my camera. I didn't up until that moment. And that video actually sort of sort of transformed the way jugglers around the world uh, made videos, juggling videos, because um, up until then, people would just take their phone and put it on a small tripod and film themselves and then edit it with some music or something. But that video, which I've done in collaboration with another juggler from Israel called Ori Roth, and he's um, he's a video editor, so he's he's um, he's working for the Israeli Sports Channel right now, doing like the the, the kind of um, videos in between the commercials. He edits those. He's a very excellent. He's a he's an excellent um, editor, and he's an excellent juggler. So we we started doing these collaborations where I would film a lot of stuff and just hand him the uh, raw footage, and he would edit that, and I would kind of guide him with editing. But it's like a pure pure collaboration. But that video ended up really transforming the way jugglers would make videos. So it kind of took the level up, which was really amazing. The juggling videos that you see now, they're kind of like in that vibe. We, we were very kind of um, fortunate to be a part of, of this movement. Did you have somebody uh, do the soundtrack for that? The soundtrack is um, mostly tracks that we would like. That was always a, a part of, of the videos. I would film the video. I would shoot the, the videos. 
And then we would sit down and think, okay, which track we really like. And then we would find a track and edit the whole thing according to the track. I think the first one is Amon Tobin. And then the second one is, um, I can't remember, it's like a cover made with Moog play. Um, yeah, it was like Hotel California. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was more like a joke. And then the, I think the third one is, uh, uh, I used a track by, a couple tracks by a friend of mine called Mr. Bill. He's an Australian um, elect- electro music dude. And the the last one that we did, which is in is in the Israeli desert, it's a it's a film called Midbal, which means um, a desert in Hebrew. It was done with um, a jazz track by Abishai Cohen. He's a, an Israeli jazz musician. So it was all mostly the tracks were were done. It's it's not our tracks. We we just um, used them with permission from the artists. It's certainly a fun thing to watch, and uh, it holds your attention. I know I sat and watched it without blinking, I think, for the whole length. Um, amazing. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, just so you know, the, the, most of the jugglers in these videos are some of the best jugglers in the world. So, I mean, it wouldn't be surprising for you to kind of sit enchanted because it's the stuff they do is incredible. It's just mind-blowing, the, uh, the abilities that they do. And, and it's different stuff than you ever see on regular TV shows and Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. You use the location like the water and all that? Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful... The, these videos, the uh, toss-up and sides again, this is like a series that we did at the Israeli Juggling Convention. And that location is this beautiful natural springs place uh, in Israel, very close to the border with Jordan. And this place is like a holiday resort. And the natural springs, they, they have a 27 Celsius temperature all year long. So I think... But it's 27, it's like 75 Fahrenheit, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so imagine that's the water all year long, and they're like turquoise blue. And uh, you have these, um, you know, you go to these places and you put your feet inside and you have these small fish that kind of eat your dry skin. Yes. They have them like all over the these, these like springs. So you just, people just do that. There's this waterfall that you stand in, and then you start feeling the tingling in your feet. It's like the fish come and eat your dry skin i've got plenty of that so they they can have a feast on my feet yeah (laughs) it actually works it's incredible ben this has been fascinating and the one thing that we really want to make our listeners jealous we've given Mm -hmm. them an oral feast of your visual work i want to say you are two hours from one of the most beautiful places in the world yeah machu picchu tell me a little bit about that area there yeah peru is very special it's the first time i came here What's fascinating is, um, I guess, uh, my my trip was very kind of, you know, healing-oriented. I, I came here to kind of, um, you know, get more strength with myself, get more grounded, get a little bit of inspiration via these uh, medicinal plants, uh, specifically ayahuasca and, and San Pedro. The ayahuasca I've done in the jungles, where it's coming from, it's an area called Iquitos. It's like an hour flight from Lima, Peru. And then the place where I am right now, it's a little town called Pizak, uh, which is in what they call the Sacred Valley. It's this valley that goes in between these big mountains um, that was made by this river called Urubamba. And that's where Machu Picchu is. Um, Right now I'm about two hours from Machu Picchu and um, I was there about a a week ago and this is where they do um, the San Pedro, which is um, a cactus. It's very similar to peyote. 
and it's got uh, also medicinal qualities and you do it with a you do it with like a shaman or or, or a, a someone who guides the, the ceremony it's a super long uh, trip as well it's about 15 hours so this area they the, what's interesting about it is um how much they respect these plants i mean if you go to the states i think ayahuasca and san pedro are illegal but here it's just legal you can just go to a shop and, and buy it you know um and they really respect they have all these ruined sites by the incas and they um the mountains they have names for each mountains so it's like they treat them as gods and that's something really really beautiful but what, when you do these uh, substances you really get it i mean there's something in there you know hmm. It's, I, I had conversations with ayahuasca about anything from Trump to my own problems. It was incredible. It just makes it go away. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, I was actually, um, it was, it was just showing me all these insights about Trump and, and, um, it didn't take it away. It was just kind of, um, one of the visions that I had was this kind of, uh, it was just this vortex of bad energy. Um, and it sucked everything inside of it and all the people that were with me in the trip and all the people that did ayahuasca or all the entities in the world was, were kind of like lining up to be sucked to this kind of vortex tornado of bad energy. And at the edge of the tornado, he took me aside and he showed me as Trump was standing there and ayahuasca was telling me, see, see how much bad energy one person can cause. It could vibrate all around the world. It's just one person. I was like, whoa. Well, that's deep thought. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Ben, well, thank you for sharing your time with our listeners today. Very, very interesting stuff. Listeners, make sure you follow the links on the uh, show page. There is some real visual treats waiting for you. Thank you. Ben, we hope to hear from you in the future with your travels. And, and when your books are ready to come out, let us know, and we'll let our listeners know. Will do. Thank you so much, Woody. Have a great day. Thank you. You have been listening to Episode... 211 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week when we present A Mischief Managed on Evolution of a New Dom.